Welcome everybody to Blackball. My name is James D. Fiore. Um, a lot of us in North America have a, um, have different takes, I guess, uh, on the war happening right now in Ukraine with the with the Russian invasion. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm always sort of uh, cognizant that whatever media I'm looking at, especially if it's a North American media, that there's a filter that it goes through first, then you sort of get like the um, you know the, the the main points. But what is underneath that, and what what is it like to report a war that's happening in your own country? And so I wanted to know who that was in, in Ukraine. And um, the only name that I kept on getting back was Ilya Ponomarenko. And we have him here today. And we have him here as an audio guest, which is rare for me. And the reason why is, uh, is because he is, um, I guess, in an area where there's a curfew. And so the police come around and make sure that everyone's doing their thing. But uh, he's a guest now. And Ilya, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? Hey, can you hear me? I'm fine. I, yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Um, your internet sure. shows that it's a little sparse, but we'll just make it work the best we can. Um, I was, I, I was reading some of the stuff that you were writing, and and I was distracted by this overriding thought of that of being a reporter reporting on a war domestically, and how I don't know anybody that's ever done that. And I'm wondering because you you've reported in conflicts in other parts of the world. Um. Aside from the obvious, which is that it's your country, what are the main differences, if any, of reporting a conflict like that in your own backyard? Oh, well, it's a complicated question because, you know, over this eight years of war, you know, we have this Russian war on our country since 2014. That's eight years, um, a little bit short of eight years. So the special thing about this war is that, first, it has become a very big and integral integral part of our lives i mean as journalists as you know activists as anywhere so it's a huge thing in our lives it's been eight years you know many people grew up and became you know um someone someone important uh, in this country uh, during this eight days of war and years of war and the second thing is that you know it's very hard as you report about the like a long protracted war that get worse uh with the years in your own country it's very hard to stay i'm not saying the word objective because i hate this word when it comes to journalism but to stay um in control of your emotions as a human being as a you know uh, as a nation of this country as someone who lives here who have who has uh you know mothers fathers friends uh, brothers also in this country also directly affected so it's at the same time as a journalist you have to be honest you have to be um, you know, balanced in terms of what you say, 
uh, and not to become, uh, not to, you know, roll down into being a, you know, in, into becoming a propaganda, you know, mouthpiece. So mm-hmm. you can be, you can take sides. From my honest opinion, you can take sides in a war. You just need to be honest about every single thing that you say and uh, try to be as, as honest as possible. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenge that it's, that it's much more complicated and difficult than it sounds. Actually, here as a it sounds, it sounds really stay, complex. Stay actually. journalist, yeah, yeah. It sounds complex stay, because stay the journalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly because you're. I mean, if you found out something that didn't shine a very positive light onto your own military, you have. I mean, you 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 can be you know uh, the objective journalist and just and just report it. That's fine. But I can totally understand the thought process might be you know like, am I damaging my country if I report this? Like, and then you have. Do you always have to submit to the ethical part of journalism and the public has the right to know? Is that is that the trick? Uh, the the thing is that you know we have this very universal rule philosophy, if we can call this. Uh, you just have to always think in. Do, do I make my nation stronger by reporting this or this? You have brought this very particular example of, let's say, I find out something that is ugly about the military in Ukraine. For instance, let's have this hypothetical situation in which, you know, uh, a Ukrainian soldier does something ugly in the city, mm-hmm. uh, in near frontline city. Do I have to report about this? Yes, my answer is yes, because as I report about those things, as I bring up those this particular problem, I help eradicate, you know, such problems in, in my military. So by eradicating such problems, I make my military stronger. Therefore, I serve my community and my nation. So that's why we always we're always thinking about this. Do I make my nation and my military stronger since we and we are all, all, as, as you know, honest journalists we admitted that we want our nation to win we want our military to win we are admitting this we but it doesn't mean that we are helping the military or the nation win at any price uh let's uh let's forget about the you know the price of you know telling lies about this this is the line that we can't cross and uh in this regard it works from my perspective it works uh, I have over these eight years of war, I have been following all these rules, very basic rules, by the way. And to be honest, I I don't think that I have something really large to be uh, remorseful about. I hmm. think I did this right. I, I well, I think so too. Um, I did a deep dive on you, and um, you know, you've won awards. You've reported not just in your country, but in Palestine and in Congo and other places. But there was something that you said in your answer there that um, that perked up my ears a little bit, um, which is the propaganda aspect of war. And over here, the people who I guess you would call them, you know, uh, right wing conservatives or something, there 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 is a segment of them that won't stop talking about certain aspects of uh, Ukrainian military. Um, that there that there's a Nazi unit and this all everything. And and when you're on this side, when you're when you're really far away in Canada, um, you know, you're trying to be as objective as you can and you're doing the best research that you can. But I would just like to hear it from someone where I don't have to like do the legwork because you already know the answers. Mm-hmm. You started your reporting in Donbass in, in uh, 2014. That's where these like rumors of like nefarious actors in the uh, Ukrainian military started coming out. 
Are you aware of that rumor? Um, can you tell me where, where it came from and can you debunk it? Um, you know, th that's uh, one of the questions that I, most people wanted me to ask you when I, when I put the word out. Uh, so the most basic thing is that, you know, there are lots of Nazis in the Ukrainian military, right? This, this thing, right? Like yes. This, right? Yes. Uh, uh, the thing is and that, that the, the original war in Donbass was like a, like a rebellious Nazi force against the Ukrainian government or something like it was Nazi know. force. <laughs> I know. No, I think, I, the only I think reason I'm asking you this question is because I want people to hear this interview so they can hear it from someone who has more credibility on Ukrainian things mm -hmm. than I do. So that you know, well, so that maybe I can put it to bed for some people. That's all. Well, I get it. So the one of the uh, uh, one of the uh, basic things that you know Russia imposes in the media space about this war right from the you know days day one of this war is that you know it's a uh, right from the start, it was a popular rebellion of a breakaway region in Donbass. Of Donbass, it's the east of the country. It's it's my homeland. It's the my home region. I grew up in Donbass, in the, from there. Mm -hmm. So Russia, Russian propaganda presents this conflict, this ongoing war, as something that was a rebellion against the uh, uh, the central Ukrainian government, following the something that we call the Euromaidan revolution. It happened in 2014, early 2014, after you know the Maidan revolution. It overthrew uh, pro-Russian pro-Russian president Viktor Yanukovych, uh, who decided uh, and his government they decided to give up on the um, on the Ukrainian course towards you know the European Union, so Westernization, uh, Ukrainian approaching to the West in favor of Russia and the uh, you know, Russian uh, sphere of influence. So he was uh, overthrown. Um, the parliament appointed an acting president and um, Russia started acting in revenge of this. Just uh, within days after that, it has, uh, it, it did um, deploy troops to, you know, southern region of Crimea, which was always dominated by you know, Russian-speaking population or ethnic Russians. So they mm -hmm. annexed this, you know, Crimea Peninsula. This is this is where Ukraine. This is how Ukraine was attacked from the beginning. But what followed was this something that Russia claims a popular rebellion in the uh, region of Donbas. But uh, in reality, all this, all these things. Um, portrayed as the public rebellion of a very small Russian speaking, you know, uh, ethnicity, you know, the ethnicity of Russians living in the East was just regulated, was just supplied, uh, commanded, controlled, totally financed um, by Russian, by the Russian military, Russian secret services. So it was always orchestrated from inside by Russia. And actually I'm right now, I, I'm located in the city where it all started back in 14 it was the spring spring of 14 uh, eight years ago in the city of slovyansk so russian subverts uh, they uh, seized the uh, city council and uh, they started you know um unleashing the conflict with the ukrainian military so they started recruiting uh, local militants so they you know started given the go to the big local war. So, and they succeeded in this. So they poured a lot of weapons in here. So it was, but right from the start, it was for eight years, you know, they managed to conquer a portion of land in Ukraine's east, 
and uh, all these years they were commanded and controlled and financed and uh, supplied directly by the Russian military in Russia. So it's just uh, uh, while some uh, you know many many in West many in the West tried to you know stay objective about this and call this you know Russian controlled military military forces militant forces uh, as you know rebels or something. So we do not agree with this. Right. Uh, yeah, and. I just I, I think it's um I, I, I think it's more indicative of uh, people who have a narrative that, you know, that, you know, people that don't like Democrats will be susceptible to believing that kind of rumor and then just ride it out forever. And um, it's one of the problems with the media, I think, these days. Um, I just want to shift gears a little bit because um, I'm just trying to figure out what uh, America's influence positive and negative is on this conflict and before it started because i know in 2014 there was a there was a lot of american help or assistance with um the uprising and i'm not saying that from a conspiratorial standpoint i i there was some assistance right like the, the, it was in their interest as well um as is is, is ukrainian is, is ukraine's relationship with the united states um is you know is it always a positive one or are there are times where it's like it's almost um you know untenable because I know that the well, we, we have, spheres, yeah, we have over this, yeah. you know, over these eight years, we have had our, you know, ups and downs. Ups were uh, the moments when uh, uh, the U.S. administrations uh, agreed to send uh, non-lethal and then lethal weapons to to Ukraine because you know the Ukrainian military was super super weak. It was always non-existent after many many years uh, in the Russian sphere of influence you know uh, many politicians influenced by russia and controlled by russia they they basically brought the the whole military system down uh just to describe you know we have managed we have mentioned the uh russian invasion in the crimean peninsula which was under ukrainian control under the international law and by by that moment the 40 million strong nation more than 40 million strong nations had something like five thousand troops ready to fight actually combat ready so because the whole military system was disorganized disoriented beheaded uh lots of uh military personnel defected to russia because you know russia was the force that suggested that something you know in terms of you know money and many other things so the west uh, and the us in in prominent they simply started sending sending weapons because otherwise ukraine, ukraine would be simply and very quickly absorbed by russia uh, simple yeah. as that and obviously us did not need this and besides you know and this grew stronger uh with the time and especially it's very strong now is that you know in general um the political establishment and also the common um uh let's say the popular uh, opinion in here in the us it was always friendly towards you know the ukrainian cause uh it always saw the struggle you know david versus goliath struggle of ukraine which is dreaming of of joining the west of um performing democratic reforms of getting westernized of uh, building stronger economy uh of uh, of ukraine fighting against the domination of an old empire um old colonial empire the, the former master so and uh, with the time yes it grew stronger and right now the us is just uh I would say it's, it multiply its military assistance by maybe hundred, hundred, you know, hundred times. Right now mm -hmm. we are getting something, something that is super critical to 
to to the Ukrainian victory, actual Ukrainian victory in the war here, here and now, which is the heavy weaponry, artillery. Mm. But we also had our downs in terms of uh, administrations. You know, you know, the U.S. is not homogenous. You know, force they have different administrations. They have different politicians. You know, Democrats, Republicans. You know, uh, representatives. You know, the Senate. Uh, I think, and it's controversial. Down. The web, the last weapons cache mm-hmm. that they're sending you is forty billion, and yeah, forty um, billion. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's controversial because the cent, first yeah. year of As- Afghanistan was forty six billion or something. Um, yeah, so, so it's, it's become a controversial these are the sort of. That we, yeah, that we often talk about, but we have our downs. For instance, when Donald Trump decided to withdraw um, the uh, weapons assistance back uh, for Ukraine. For his, you know, for his solution, that was two years ago, maybe. That was the definitely not the best moment in terms of, you know, the relationships. Uh, and given the fact that we we depend a lot on the Western assistance, not in terms of uh, heavy weaponry, for instance, but also equipment, training, uh, lots right. of different things. So in many ways, we owe the fact that we still run as an independent and sovereign nation, not as a Russian, um, you know, Unrecognized colony. We owe to the fact to the West and to many and to people of the West that supported this cause and you know rendered pressure from the people because we're not being naive. We're not thinking that you know Biden has given us weapons just because uh, he loves us and he you know he's all rosy and uh, and ponies just because he wants to get reelected and he he knows that you know the American people support this cause. So right. yeah, it's a very complicated thing. Um, we, we have a guest that I'm going to invite in in a moment, um, Alex Derabikov, who can school me on how to pronounce his last name when he gets here, because um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I got it right. Um, he's he's a friend of the Dean Blundell Network, who's been doing like citizen journalism from his home in Ukraine. And um, I thought it was neat to have a perspective like that, because you're working for like, I think one of the biggest publications, if not the biggest, you're very well known. His reporting, which is also very in-depth and um, kind of like a behind-the-curtain experience as to what it's like living day to day um in in ukraine but i'm gonna ask you one last question before uh, we invite alex mm-hmm. on and that is when when the, when the conflict happens in your own country and you and you're stuck with that sort of like um but not stuck but when you make the ethical decision to like tell the truth um i i think that it was the right answer and it's super important in fact i think that's the only answer um, but I've talked to people who fi- who has family in Ukraine and then they talk to their family in Russia and it seems like everything that I hear is like Russian citizens have no idea what's really happening. And I, I don't know how much I believe that because it seems so ridiculous to me that you like and then you know you find out that obviously Putin controls like you know now he's controlling what sites mm-hmm. they can go to. Um, how much of that is is um is really happening is there is there like are they completely in the dark in russia i know it's unsafe to protest and things like that but is the russian propaganda machine so you know otherworldly that they can shield their entire country from what's really happening oh believe me it's overwhelming mm-hmm. it's the overwhelming i mean it's the overwhelming force and it's more influentially more effective that even sometimes even we here in ukraine those who follow the situation even we get surprised by how brainwashed and how delusional people can be very you know usual people just like me and you but those you know living in certain conditions under certain media bombardment for many years and you know there was this very distinctive campaign of you know dehumanizing ukrainians of uh, you know denying them as the um 
sovereign nation. So Ukrainians are not a nation, some sort of sort of like that. You know, of this, you know, supremacy of Russians over over Ukrainians. You know, so even as a result of this war, and in many ways, it was just uh, preparation for what for what Putin has done in here, because you have to, you know, get your nation, get your military prepared to attack this very brotherly, very, you know, that a nation that is very peaceful, very low, very close to you, to your own nation, because, you know, many of us, we have, you know, relatives in, uh, in Russia, and vice versa, we, we you know, may, lots of Ukrainians speak Russian, as mother tongue, yours truly included. So you have to invest a lot, a lot of strength, a lot of strength into, you know, the most primitive and hateful propaganda to make that, you know, actually happening. And people, many people do actually believe this. And we know this not because, you know, we are being patriotic and we are following this just because we have lots of relatives and we argue and we are shocked by the things that they say and tell about us uh, and try to persuade us into things that they heard on TV saying, uh, you know, about Ukraine. They actually believe that, you know, Ukraine as, you know, as Ukraine, you know, it's the actual Nazi controlled and Nazi ruled nation, just like Nazi Germany, this very literally that yeah. the uh, president is a Hitler that we, you know, uh, do, do, you know, pay homage to actually Hitler that we were swastikas. That, that's not, that's not kidding. They do believe that, you know, the Ukrainians do have some sort of, you know, um, biological weapons program or, or, or nuclear weapons program or whatever, you know, the TV tells you on this very particular day to justify this war. You know, the reasons they, they, they change all the time, the reasons why. So, yeah, there is this abyss and gap even between, you know, the relatives of families in Russia and uh, in Ukraine. So it's, it's it's a huge trouble. And even we, after eight years of war, you know, uh, when this invasion, you know, the big one started, even we were surprised by how insane it is, even though we, you know, I, I thought I knew everything about Russian propaganda and the brainwashing effect that it has, but I was generally surprised by how, how, how strong it is in terms of, you know, motivating people and soldiers into, you know, actually fighting a war against Ukrainians in Ukraine because we're not, we do not deserve to be a nation, you know? See? Yeah, and the same, and that propaganda. Insane. No, it doesn't sound the same because that same propaganda was directed heavily at the religious right wing in North America because they're the ones right now that are like, Ukrainians are just Nazis and they, they're the ones committing war crimes. And it's just like, where are you getting this from? Like, you know, I, I, I you know, the sources and then you find the sources and they're dubious. And then there's Zelensky with like a, with like a Jersey that he's holding up and it's got these Photoshop swastikas on it. And I'm just, you guys are falling for some really bad stuff here. Um, I want to bring Alex in um, because again, Ilya, you're, you're working, um, you know, on the front lines and you're, you're doing some amazing reporting. Um, Alex is on sort of the other end, and I've been on the Alex end of my profession as a journalist um, many times, except the exact thing that he's doing right now, obviously, because there hasn't been any conflict in Canada. But Alex, um, first of all, welcome to the show. How do you say your last name so I don't butcher it again? Uh, hey, guys. Uh, hi, J James. Hi, Ilya. My last name is Daira Bekov. Daira Bekov. Daira Bekov. 
Okay, good. Sorry about yeah. that. I just, you know, I have a, I have a suburban can Canadian tongue. So I just, I went for it and you know, that was it. Um, Alex, you've, um, you've had that other perspective. So while Ilya is on, uh, you know, regularly reporting from the war zone, um, you're, you're living at home and reporting what's literally going on outside your house. Um, first of all, can you tell me if, um, I know you're familiar with Ilya's work. Is he one of the go-to reporters for you as well? And also, um, you know, what have you been, how have you been able to learn from sort of like professional journalists in, in Ukraine on how to do what you've been doing to sort of get the word out of what's going on? Oh, Ilya is an absolutely great, uh, journalist and reporter uh what he's doing is uh, is just uh, great stuff so just big applause to you Ilya. yep for for that yeah um, thank you i wasn't okay. ready to to listen to so many good things to, to my address but thank you <laughs> yeah well, what i'm doing is just a little little part of showing showing what i as a regular citizen of ukraine see sees because yeah you know i i I evacuated. I escaped from European uh, with my two at that time two weeks old son and my wife. And if we didn't evacuate, we could have yeah. been dead by You'll now. Be in a, you know. Yeah, in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, I live just next to European in the very extreme of uh, extreme west of Kiev. Let's put it that way. So, I heard it. What was happening to European all these days of the Battle of Kiev? So I would, I was witnessing. Uh, my ears were witnessing this all night long, every night. So I know. But in general, I, I wanted to say that you know, um, we as a journalist uh, in the West, in Ukraine, elsewhere, everybody you know talking and reporting about this war in Ukraine and you know beyond Ukraine. Uh, we did an amazing job in terms of you know letting the the world know, uh, which is like a very explicit function of media, of journalism, as as it is, as it is. For instance, you know the Bucha massacre, where it's the uh, uh, tiny city just next to Irpin, which was which has seen probably one of the worst massacres of this war, where people got lots of people got killed by you know Russian soldiers, shot in the head, for instance, and buried in mass graves. So the journalists, Western Ukrainian um, from other countries, they were first to see this, to report this, and to actually let the world know, and you know, to attract the world's attention to this. So, without the broad presence of you know Western journalists and Ukrainian journalists, and without you know them doing their work so properly, so cautiously, I think this horrific incidents this horrific thing that happened um in kiev it could be forgotten as the uh, you know local isolated incidents or something like that but in reality this is one of the worst um mass killing incidents in this century it could be just uh forgotten and just let go without the journalists so kudos to us all yeah that's and that's kind of um like, I, I feel like both of you represent sort of like the bookends of important media because I don't know how often I've been ever privy to um, a citizen living in a war zone where shells are dropping and hearing it from him and not filtered through whatever media outlet is situated in the vicinity. And um, I, I don't even know what my question is because I, I'm wondering, um, Ilya, if you could, if you could, 
Mm-hmm. Like it's really important to be able to look behind the curtain through Alex's eyes as a resident, as a citizen, isn't it? Oh yes, oh yes. I would say you know, uh, I think I was having some kind of interview back in the day, and uh, someone was asking me uh, from the Western journalism community what was the thing that helped Ukraine win so many hearts and so many minds and to you know actually tell the story of ukraine in war being you know bombed and destroyed and killed and murdered uh why were we so successful in terms of you know you know attracting the world's attention to this my theory is that you know in many ways what journalists here in ukraine do uh, and also many Western journalists do is that they bring a sort of you know personal perspective, and especially when it comes to Ukrainian journalism here here on the ground in Kiev or many other places, uh, including you know those who tried to escape. They also were telling their stories on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we we started this conversation with this you know the uh, j- journalists being a nation of this country in war. So it affects you and uh, in terms of, you know, emotions, but also helps you tell your own story as a journalist, as a, as a human being suffering, you know, uh, and, you know, being worried about your parents, your friends, and also being worried about your own lives and uh, telling, telling the people, telling people about your own, you know, everyday habits. And many people, this is what I see in, in the West, many people realize that, you know, Ukrainians, this nation somewhere in the world and i think that many many people in the us or canada can find ukraine on the map and i'm do not blame them because we have the situation west versa as well and uh, lots of people in the west they saw that you know we and you know for instance canadians and americans they watch the same movies they have the same netflix shows on the run they do the same things you know they listen to the same music so we are the same you know and uh this this makes it very easier to uh you know to get people interested and you know passionate and uh, sympathizing about it so yeah it's very yeah, i mean if there was a thing. first yeah. of all yeah sorry to cut you off but if there was any doubt yeah. alex that what you're doing is important um you just had the the top guy in your country who reports on on the war um basically tell you that it's important um I've never connected with you on, on, on the Dean Blundell podcast. I've, I, I would, I've been on it many, many times and, and I, we, our, our paths never crossed. But um, just following from what I've seen, you know, um, you, your importance, I'm sure, is difficult and kind of, you probably don't want to like talk about how important you are. But like really, though, at the end of the day, we grew up, I grew up watching things like the war in Iraq and I would only see the missiles getting launched. I would never see where they landed. And I was always stuck on that. I was like, well, where did it go? Like, you know, did it, did it kill the, the kids in the school or the hospital or this or that? And to have someone there literally behind the curtain. Um, yeah, I don't, I just, I, I don't know if you know, if you, maybe you have realized how important that perspective is from, from people being directly impacted from, from, you know, bombs that are dropping from the sky because of an illegal invasion, you know? Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. 
4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Cundell, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Oh, yeah, I, I can't agree more with what you said, with what Ilya said, because what Ilya said was a great reflection on actually what, uh, what I experienced in the first days of the war. I started communicating with my Russian relatives, and at some point I was so desperate to break through this wall. I was really naive thinking that I could do that. That, you know, I was so desperate and I, I, I you know, I shot a, a video, I shot a video and I almost cried to the video. I, I said, you cannot just wake up in the morning now, go and drink your regular coffee while we are being shelled here. We are being bombed here. You can't just have your regular day. I was almost crying, you know, and it didn't break the wall. The propaganda is so so firm there that they didn't break the wall. They are like robots there. And we are emotional human beings. And that's what Ilya just said. That's uh, that's probably makes us different. Our journalism, general civil journalism and, uh, and the typical journalism, that's what makes us different. It's, it's alive. It's not some kind of dry... Uh, shit that that uh, that is in in Russian propaganda. Um, yeah, to agree, I, but we we in 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 the West and also and worldwide we have more than enough, you know, like live news feeds um, telling you the stories in you know three four sentences uh, day by day, every minute, you know, getting updated every second. And uh, what we lack, uh, what we short of. Uh, is the like a human vision this is why we post many many emotional things many you know personal things apart from you know newsy things on uh, on twitter and social media because it just works it just you know gets people people interested and this it's not that you are you know advertising yourself as as a human being as a journalist you're just telling the story because you can because you can be sure about the things that you see and that you feel so and you can share and it also helps, uh, I would say, as you do those things, you know, this, uh, as, as you call it, uh, civil journalism, I guess, yeah. Citizen it also helps, yeah. Yep. Yeah, citizen, yeah, citizen journalism, sorry. Uh, it also helps you as a human being in the war to, you know, get more audience, you know, to, 
to get more people to talk to about this and you know you you simply get a lot of people listening to you and being you know generally interested so it helps you as well because we stay human beings you know uh within a probably a second uh, away from you know enemy missile coming in so yeah i think it's like alex I, alex what you just said was really kind of poignant actually and important because um you know you mentioned that um the first day you know what what you filmed was kind of overwhelming like it almost put you in tears and I'm of the mind that like it didn't get much better for the first few weeks either. So um, maybe maybe my question is actually for Ilya and then Alex, maybe you two can can sort of chat about it, because what I my gut is telling me is that Ilya, with your experience around the world and seeing conflicts, I'm not going to say you're numb to it or anything like that, but you you you've seen a lot of stuff. So you're prepared, I guess, uh, as much as you can be. Is there anything that um, Alex might want to be doing since he is playing the role of an effective journalist on the ground where traumatic things are happening? Like, is there a is there a way to help Alex sort of like, you know, deal with that? I know that's a strange question, but I'm thinking of like the trauma that someone's experienced during war and how, you know, hitting it head on is probably you know a better idea for quick healing than pushing it down. Does that make sense? Oh, uh. I'm, I'm not sure if I can, you know, give any sort any pieces of advices to people <laughs> in terms of anything. Uh, but I don't I mean to put you on the spot, but but Doctor Ponomarenko, can you please? You know, it's 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 sort of it's a sort of uh, suggestion, maybe I don't know, friendly suggestion mm -hmm. or even something that is even weaker than that. Maybe you know, um, a food a food for thought, maybe I don't know. You know, sometimes you know the human being is the piece of news is the walking piece of news you know because uh, since you know ukraine has become the most popular country in the world just prove me wrong please but and uh, lots of people are generally interested in every single detail that you can get about ukraine about you know the everyday life of, of ukrainians and, and what ukrainians do what ukrainians like how you know what the ukrainian citizens uh or cities look like because they just generally get interested about us because like i said ukraine is the coolest country in the world right now because of this whole war and the story of this heroic resistance so i would suggest that you know people uh, journalism journalists here in ukraine maybe share more of their you know personal details of their personal life maybe something that is not too creepy i would say because uh, many people get familiar with the Ukrainian lifestyle uh, in terms of uh, of war as well. Because you know, you, you know, uh, everybody, or not everybody, but many people love you know this per personal uh, aspect of stories from war. For instance, as you interview people, uh, for instance, those trapped in uh, refugee camps or something like that. But in this case, in many ways, you are the story. You know. Uh, yeah, which is, which is which it's interesting because that's one of the it, over here anyways that was the first thing they taught us in journalism was um don't become the story um but, but th there's always an asterisk beside that because um Al i would say alex is like a you know representative of the average citizen who's living in a war zone yeah. um and so maybe not about him personally but um you know what though it, it has to feel good th to know that um you know an actual mainstream are you a main it's a mainstream media position that you have right Ilya? uh yeah it's the you yeah. i don't know 
I'm not I sure don't mean that disparagingly. I'm just, yeah. yeah. The spectrum of mainstream journalism to citizen journalism, um, you know, for a lot of people automatically means that you can't trust the mainstream media. But really, in this particular situation, <laughs> it looks like you're setting the example. And Alex, you are too. Like, you know, uh, I find it fascinating. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just jaded because there's so many journalists in, in North America who, I, I, I'm telling you, if a conflict happened here and there was a citizen journalist, most journalists that work for mainstream outlets in Canada would be like, why don't you just leave it to the professionals? <laughs> you know, they're, 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 <laughs> no, this, this does not work in Ukraine. You know, one of the cool things about, you know, developing and fastly developing countries is that, you know, they overjump many, many, many things that, you know, were around in the process of, you know, development and progress. So we jumped over this, you know, you have to leave it to to professionals things and we do not have even this distinction between you know citizen journalism and you know professional journal or mainstream journalism basically every single more or less popular media outlet or journalist is doing something that you call this uh personalized you know citizen journalism because you know mm -hmm. they all make jokes on the on on facebook on twitter they post personal pictures they you know sometimes use filthy words and not sometimes but very frequently so it in here in journal in um, Ukrainian journalism, it, there's also always a, like a human your personal perspective and your personal flavor as a journalism, and I find it cool because we in the West one of the things that I not sure I like about the Western journalists is that sometimes you know Western journalists they uh, I might be wrong by the way they prone to be you know a bit self censoring a bit overthinking about what they saw about the world and about many other things. I'm not saying that, you know, they uh, have a censorship or something like that, but sometimes they lack don't this wide. They... Yeah. Don't like, they don't like Putin. Hey. He's corrupt mostly through that lens. And then, you know, make sure you come out looking like that guy. That, really, you know? So you were talking about objectivity before um, and the objectivity in the Western oh, journalists yes. for a war like this, they might be on the right side, but they're not on the right side for the right reasons all the time. That, that, that's all I'm saying. Oh, you know it better, but uh, I was, I was more, mostly talking about um, be less formal, maybe, maybe oh, okay. that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I heard, about. I heard that. And, and, and again, I, I was harking back to journalism school um, where it's never about you. But I had a problem with that from the beginning because um, everything is looked through your own lens. So it's going to be personalized mm -hmm. to a certain extent anyways. Um, but Alex, yeah. if I can uh, if I can get back to you for just one second, because um, I didn't know that about uh, journalism in, in Ukraine. But um, but I feel like you've been instinctive in how you've covered it, um, where you're not thinking like a producer. Oh, you know, if I shoot this, then I'll be able to cement this idea. And it's more like a. It puts the journal in journalism. You're journaling almost, right? and and it, you just happen to be journaling at, in the part of the world where the biggest story is happening, and it's impacting real human beings. Um, I know it's 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 the wrong way to describe it, but um, I'll give you I'll give you an example. I'm going to preamble this with an example. Um, my wife was very thankful that I was not with her in Egypt, where she was with her mother when the Arab Spring first broke. Because what she said is that you would have gone to Tahrir Square and you probably wouldn't have come back because you would have gotten yourself into trouble because of your sense of adventure and all that kind of stuff. Um, do you, is that 
is there an adrenaline factor, Alex, um, doing what you're doing? Even if it's hard to admit, I know you don't want the word to be there. You don't want to be doing this stuff overall, but because you are, is there an adrenaline spike ever? Uh, well, for, for first, what did you call it? Instinctive? Yeah, absolutely. So mm. it was absolutely instinctive. I, I didn't give a damn <laughs> what I look, you know, where I look. I was just, uh, well, first, we were all in stress. Within the first month, it was like complete stress. I Sometimes I felt like my legs were trembling. I couldn't feel the, the, the earth under my legs. It was really like, it was really strange, uh, strange psychological state. But I was just, I knew something. I need to, you know, speak to the world. Well, my, again, my Russian relatives wouldn't listen to me, so I turned around to the West. Oh, As you were inspired that. to turn around because because of the yes. uh, treatment that you got from your Russian relative. Well, that's great. Exactly. <laughs> Family always yeah. comes through, even if they don't mean to, Alex. I think that's what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good because I thought, okay, if I cannot break uh, through this uh, wall, why would I spend my time? I turned around and I, because, well, I speak fairly good language. So I started doing it in English and, you know, I'll, um, and, you know, that's, uh, that's what Ilya mentioned. I felt so much support, emotional support, so much positive feedback from the West that I would never expect from the, from the Russian side, you know, and that was really important thing. It was good for me uh, as well, you know, as a, as a person emotionally positive um Ilya, i don't know my, how much time you have left but um mm -hmm. i know you probably uh probably want to get out of here you have a very busy life at the front front lines of the conflict <laughs> but um <laughs> you know um can you actually like clarify because i don't know if i got it right at the beginning like the reason why Ilya's not on camera is because of a curfew is that right uh just just one thing actually two things that i want to say right now you know i see that people in comments they say that they saw another picture of me on the probably on the cover of this um of this uh sorry that photo the press photo with the tank yes yes that's that's not me that's my good friend andri Saplienka. it's a very okay. very experienced well, very nice guy so we yep. know each other here. He's a nice, he's a great friend of mine. Uh, okay. Sorry about him. that. I listen, it's, like, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's give the guy a bit of glory since he appears okay. here. Hi, Andre. He'll be pleased to know that uh, use his photo <laughs> against <laughs> the, instead of me. So this guy is probably top TV work correspondent. And uh, it's a very famous picture. It was taken probably a week and a half ago. The um, the correspondent here stands uh, stands uh, against the um, T90M, which is the, probably the most advanced Russian tank right now. So it was downed within just one week after it was deployed uh, by Russians uh, here in Ukraine in in the Kharkiv region. So Russia had its most uh, advanced tank just downed within just days, and Andrei was the one discovering it. So he made a picture of it that that's not me that's Andrei Saplienko uh if you speak Russian or Ukrainian I highly recommend that you follow him he's a great guy he has immense experience in the wars around the world and regarding I, I my yeah. this is you yeah though right yeah okay yeah. I appreciate you clarifying not, that because uh, uh -huh. yeah 
What a misrepresentation. Oh, that's me. That's that's yeah. my ugly face. I'm oh. not that beautiful. Not not a, not not as beautiful as Andy. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely like, not this as, guy. Not this as, guy as has the advantage of having like you know he's in a military zone with a with a flap jacket on and a helmet, so he he looks like the tough guy. You look like the intellectual. You look like you're waiting <laughs> but, for the uh, dumb journalist you know, to stop field... asking dumb questions. <laughs> you know? Yeah, in, in the field, I look the same. I also got a helmet. So it's basically the uh, basic outfit for the uh, work correspondent in the field. So I do the same thing, but I'm not as tough and not experienced as Andre. But he's, you're also he's like, a great that, guy. that's actually refreshing to hear you kind of say that because um, a, yeah. a Western guest would have been like, I don't know why you're showing that photo, but that is certainly <laughs> not me. What is the meaning of this? Well, How did my agent even book this podcast? What's going on? Well, that's just that's just a beautiful detail that we can, you know, make fun of. Uh, yeah. Susie. Well, we're making lemonade but, out of but, lemons. That's not. Yeah, yeah. But but no no no. I also I, I also got a very expensive and very nice uh, armored vest and also very nice, even though it's very old. My helmet it serves me for like eight years, uh, but I'm not dressing here. I'm not sleeping in it, so <laughs> don't don't get worried. And uh, the second thing that we wanted to discuss is this this black picture instead of my ugly face that you guys were seeing for the most yes. of this po podcast. Yes. The thing is that I'm um, uh, I'm in an apartment that I'm renting in in a um, in a town that is in the heart of the war zone of Donbass. You know, like the the worst affected probably the worst affected region right now here in ukraine which is the like a, a scene of the probably one of the decisive battles of uh, of russia's war here in ukraine so uh, and uh started from 9 p.m here in the city they have the curfew of course because it's the uh it's the martial law here in ukraine and uh, apparently it's the it's a very strict law that they uh, have in this city that you have to keep your lights closed it's all because of the you know air, um, enemy aviation and many other things uh, you have to keep the uh, lights off you have to um, uh, maintain the um, the concealment you know so everybody yeah. has to stay in the I wasn't dark sure or... when, I wasn't sure when you told me because uh yeah to be honest the first thing that came to mind was like old Vietnam movies where they're like don't smoke the snipers will see you. It's, I was like, oh it's, shit! It's, it's, it's this, the the principle is the same. You just do not have. You have to stay yeah. in the dark in terms of you know uh, getting your enemy oriented in terms of your whereabouts of uh, residential um, districts and areas. So, uh, if I could show you what I see right now through the window, it's complete oh. dark. It's, oh, okay. it's it's not it's not a very big city. It's a it has something like I mean I don't know maybe. 50,000 people but it's it's complete dark it's it's absolutely dark so you could imagine that you are standing not in not you know uh in the middle of uh, you know huge residential area but somewhere in the field like playing in the field or in the forest so it's absolute dark so i have to stick to this and there's a, a bit of funny story behind the behind this is that we came to this apartment me and my my photographer whom I work in the war so we came to this apartment and we saw that in, in these in this apartment they do not have any light bulbs at all I mean in the guest room in the corridor anywhere except the uh, the bathroom so I was like wow. what the hell is this <clears throat> why do I pay for this apartment and do not even have the light bulbs uh, late in the night like 
deep in the curfew, the police came and explained to me why. <laughs> so, so they I expect your house to be stuff. like either dimly lit or not lit at all uh, after curfew? Uh, it's as, as dim as possible. As, as dim as possible. Okay. Uh, because over here, if that happened, all these there would be a whole contingent of people that would be like, um, that, that's infringing on, on my liberty. In my freedom. Well, yeah, <laughs> I know it's it's not it's not super pleasant, but you know it's a it's a martial law. So, um, civil liberties some some of these civil liberties that we have uh, get restricted, and you know it can be documented and controlled uh, mm-hmm. by the police uh, at every. It's step another of the one street. of the talking points for the critics on the yeah. uh, far right of the spectrum over here is that you're living in martial law is one of them, um, and the other one is the conscription um, law there. And I'm like, the United States for World War II had conscription. They also turned all their profit-making auto parts factories into bullet-making yeah. factories. And everyone looks at it, it's like, that was patriotism. And, and it's like, nowadays, it's turned into like, well, that's just allowing government to infringe on your freedoms. We're, we're in a bad place right now, I think politically almost worldwide. But um, Alex, is it like that where you are as well? Just like, you know, that, that kind of curfew, martial law, like, is it... Are, are people like, I don't want to piss off those cops because they're not generally nice. You know, they're doing their job, you know, so keep the lights yeah, on. I, was, I would say that, yeah, we have, sometimes we have it tough, uh, but in general, the it's not, here in Ukraine during wartime, one of the biggest uh, wars um, in the recent history, I would not say that it's too, too hard. It's not insane. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. un- unreasonably hard um, in terms of, you know, security and many other things. So it's okay. It's acceptable. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I agree with Ilya. It's like uh, I can see like a um, consensus uh, among people that, well, we just have, we are in a war. We have to, to you know, to, uh, um, uh, to, to be in line with whatever we have to do. You know, people are, well, we, do, we, are, we have a curfew. We have, uh, you know, this uh, air raid alarm, alarms. But mm-hmm. I'm in Cherkasa now, which is in the center of Ukraine, and it is the safest place in the entire country. Even oh, wow. oh, some yeah. of the western, yeah, yeah. some of the I western regions, that. like <laughs> like this, this is the place where I, I sent my my girlfriend and my mom to. So oh, good. <laughs> yes, yeah. We only had like last week. Uh, uh, this is the first time, and probably the last in the entire war. We had uh, two cruise missiles that were flying very close to our apartment building. And they both were shot by our air defense, and that's it. Yeah. So well, that, that, that's that's a very that's a silver lining if I've ever heard one. Ilya, one question before you, um, mm-hmm. before you go though, um, is there like a? Are you okay? Like like reporting this kind of thing from your home country? I just I'm just curious if you can tell me how you're dealing with it from like a personal point of view and if that's too personal please like just tell me um, you know nothing's too personal <laughs> okay uh, what's su- no so, just no <laughs> go ahead yeah no yeah i mean it, like how how are you coping with the things that you're seeing basically well i'm not saying that it's not too emotional it is emotional but uh in general i would say that i have somehow managed um, in many ways, thanks to my previous years in this war and also other wars uh, around the world, I have managed, thankfully, switch my mind to a sort of working mode. 
um, that keeps me cool, that me, keeps me fine, that keeps me in working conditions, that keeps me motivated, um, that keeps me remembering why I'm doing this, why we're all doing this, and uh, what will we be having uh, in, as a result. So it's just, you know, something that gives you a lot of motivation uh, because you understand that it's a service uh, to community. Being journalism, journal, uh, being a journalist in Ukraine, it's not a job, it's a service to community. And uh, as you, you know, draw your duties, as you serve a service, um, you don't have to complain. You don't need to, um, you know, look for bedsides. It's just something that you have to do. Um, so it keeps me motivated, you know, the, my sort of duty to community, because, you know, like I said, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a, it's not a job. So in many ways, this helps me cope with emotional things. Uh, but also my, my experience also works because I simply understand the battlefield. I simply understand how, you know, basic things about, you know, missiles and, uh, uh, artillery rounds. So I know basic stuff. So I'm, trying to be it helps me being rational rather than too emotional so it helps a lot in terms of many many things like i was for instance i was sleeping sleeping like a baby during the battle of kiev even though i was living in an apartment somewhere like five or six kilometers even maybe four kilometers away from the russian lines there was this moment that they were like four kilometers away from my from my place but uh, I knew certain things I could understand from what I was seeing and what I was hearing is in those things told me that you have the cons you have the appropriate and uh, considerable level of security right here and now it's acceptable right in this very moment. So as you understand those things, so it keeps you stable and emotional and it keeps you in a workable condition so i would say that you know knowledge is power even at this basic level that i'm in and what a great example for you alex yeah absolutely i mean <laughs> i have no idea about what you just named Ilya. i have i i've never served in military uh i didn't know this military terms so that's why i really enjoy uh, reading your stuff because it's very concise and it gives a really clear explanation of what is going on. And it, it is, uh, it, it, it says that you know what you are talking about. <laughs> well, it's, it's not necessarily that I'm always right. I, and uh, it's just my, you know, I'm, I stay as a human being. So, but in many ways, the fact that I make mistakes not as often as I could is just the help of uh, many people who I, who I can call and, you know, just ask questions and ask for advice. So um, you just have to Google. <laughs> and, well, your, your, your disposition of being, of, of looking at uh, being a journalist as a service and not as a job is something I've never heard before. And I really like it. <laughs> I, 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 you know, over here, that would be interpreted as a, a government reporter that isn't objective, but I know you, don't mean it like that because the culture is different and and, and um, it's just like yeah. that must be so inspiring to alex and i saw this tweet that you put out artillery artillery sweat saves infantry blood and i thought that was just so poignant and i was wondering where that quote came from uh this is something uh, that 
it's actually a very famous um, saying among post-Soviet militaries and Soviet militaries since long ago, since Soviet times. Uh, this is something that I just got to my mind I, after I had a conversation with an artillery guy and he just reminded me of this principle that, you know, uh, when the artillery is working effectively and very hard, it just clears the way for the infantry, uh, hmm. clears the way forward. So the more effective artillery, the less infantry casualties you are expected to have in the battlefield. So this is the principle that is super important uh, right here and now in Donbass. And this, these are basically one of the keys that, you know, the U.S. is doing in terms of, you know, helping Ukraine prevail in this war. It just provides Ukraine with um, top-notch artillery that is better than what Russians have. And uh, that's, and let's get back to the principle, the more effective and precise um, artillery is, the less uh, soldiers we have to lose as we advance further and defeat the enemy. Okay. So um, before like said, before we let you go, I was just wondering because I know there must be something. Alex, is there is there a question that you'd want to ask Ilya because you guys are sort of doing the same thing from completely different places? You have him here. He's the, your top war correspondent. <laughs> I'm squishing you together, and hopefully something comes. Out. <laughs> oh, I'm the yeah. best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just want to say again, kudos to you. Well, and to all journalists who are working together in this. We are, this is a war, this is also a war and, and we are all in this war uh, helping to spread the word. And I believe that uh, the more people in the world know about what is really going on here, the faster this hell ends. So I really thank you and I hope we, we can stay in touch and I can knock at your door at some point when I really have no clue about some very complicated stuff that I cannot Google and you can reply. <laughs> Okay. Oh, yes, our work turned out being even more important and influential uh, than uh, we could imagine, probably, we as journalists uh, in the West and also in Ukraine. But this is how the world works, apparently. Well, yeah, uh, but, Ilya, but we please, thank you. Please, no, go ahead. Sorry, but please, please huh? stay safe. Uh, uh, this place is the hottest place in the entire country now. The place where you are, please, mm -hmm. please stay safe. Uh, I'll be, I'll, I'll believe me, I'll be fine because the military is not super eager in terms of you know taking the uh, journalists with them to the war fronts, and they're not super excited about these ideas because because reasons. So I think mm -hmm. chances are high that I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all hope you stay safe. Um, thank you for your amazing reporting. Um, and I'm probably okay. gonna ha ask you to come back in a little bit, and I hope that's okay. And um, yeah, stay safe. Thanks, Ilya. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ilya. Oh, wow. That was um, Ilya Ponomarenko. Am I saying that right, Alex? Yes. Yes, <laughs> okay, good. good. <laughs> um, um, that is like the equivalent of a Canadian citizen journalist or independent journalist, whatever you want to call it, a beginner, though. And again, you have the instinct. Of, I love it so much because I, as I'm talking to you and to Ilya, it was, it, he... He doesn't have it either. So it's like there's a media disease over here where you can tell that they're jaded. And it's funny because what you guys had in common during that brief exchange was the clear evidence that you guys both have a disposition that is based in integrity. And I was surprised to see that. This is, by the way, for everyone knows, like I confirmed the interview, the time uh, with Ilya about an hour before we started. 
I, I was going back and forth with him and I had, you know, I knew what I wanted to talk about. But Alex, I didn't invite you until I confirmed him because I didn't want to, you know, when you, when and it doesn't work out and you're like, oh, I should have just called him when it was like, and you were like, yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, I didn't know th that I would discover so many insights about what it's like to be a reporter in, in, in Ukraine. And it's, uh, it sounds like the utopia that I, I always kind of wished <laughs> North America media was like. Um, you know, I didn't know that about uh, about Ukrainian journalism. I'm not sure if you did, but um, it was a surprise to me that that it's so based on the concept of telling the truth. Like it sounds funny even when I say it because I'm I think I'm jaded too. You know. Oh, oh we are still learning, of course. Journalism is uh, well, and probably the fact that we have this absolutely fake line propaganda from the east from Russia and there's lots of this in Ukraine. So there's lots of those liars. I would not even say, I cannot use the word journalism to them. This is liars. So they are like creating this uh, absolutely uh, fake, uh, you know, empire. And this fact helps us to raise this absolute zero tolerance to, to lies. And, uh, and it's and we, we, we've you know we've experienced we've seen this propaganda for years well, the, the, the entire world knows that in the in the US there's lots of uh, lies but this is like such an absolute horrible horrible lies like really yeah. fakes that we know we, we both know about this is why probably the journalism, um, actually burst. Well, uh, Gongadze, I, I don't know if many people uh, know this the guy who was uh, killed 22 years ago. Uh, there was a journalist who created one of the first independent uh, um, uh, internet sites uh, in Ukraine called Pravda, Ukrainian, Ukrainska Pravda. So mm -hmm. he was probably one of those uh, uh, those ones who helped to, to raise this uh, this truthful uh, journalism in Ukraine. And there's lots of journalists now who are, who believe uh, in, in, in this. Well, I, I think it's, um, it's an unfortunate uh, situation that you've managed to find an important silver lining within. Um, uh, we're going to wrap up now. I'm, I'm you know, I, 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 I'm so appreciative that you took the time, by the way. I can't wait to see you on Dean's show again. Just for anyone that's watching or listening, I have the link to the Dean Blundell merch store inside the description. Go there, buy some gear, and uh, we send um, a lot of, I, I don't know the percentage, so I'll just say a lot, and I just hope a lot isn't a legal term because I really don't know. But we send, I think it's either all of it or most of it uh, to you and your family to help you out during this time because um, the value of work that you've done for Dean and his network um, is is incredible to me because again, not to belabor the point, but the behind the curtain um, information that you're giving us, um, knowing that it's not being filtered through a corporation or an editor, and it's just, it is what it is, is um, it shouldn't be as awe-inspiring as it is. <laughs> and not to take anything away from you, but it it is. It's it, the unfiltered version of a war uh, shot by a citizen who lives in the country that's being attacked is very rare as far as as far as i know um and um i'm really proud of you like i i, I really like i don't know you but i 
I can sense from you that you're like a salt of the earth, nice person. And I think what you're doing is so important. I was glad to hear Ilya say that he also thinks it's important what you're doing. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, James, for inviting me. It's, uh, it's really an honor for me. And what we are doing with Dean, we are just meeting every week to, to discuss what's going on, to laugh, to cry. I, I cried at one of the shows. And I'm oh, just being myself. Dude, I, I cry every day. I cry every day for things <laughs> that are so trivial. So don't worry about it. Well, <laughs> seriously. Well, yeah, well, but sometimes the things that are happening here, it's, I'm just smiling here. But well, there were so many times where we, we saw so many downs in our three months or two, two months of this war that it was like very dramatic but uh, but those talks with you with dean with anyone uh, helps us a lot emotionally this is the, probably the best what uh, that we we get and and by the way the money that uh, that dean is collecting is go, goes to the volunteer activity that my team is doing that we support the needy the most needy ones in those deoccupied regions of ukraine so we help okay. them to buy the most necessary stuff so Okay, so I didn't want to imply yeah. that you were like living large during the war, you know, <laughs> like getting yeah, bottles yeah. of crystal shipped to your house in the uh, martial law <laughs> section of the city you live in. Um, but I, 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 you know, whatever was raised, I hope it helps. Um, you know, I, I it's um, the like I can't stress this enough. If you, if we're, if I were to look at it like an accountant, even the value, the monetary value of what you're doing for eyeballs and for historical reasons and relevancy and things like that i don't know if there's a number that you can put on it i mean but it's it is super valuable um and uh yeah i appreciate uh what you've been able to contribute and um i can't wait to see you the next time on dean's show i don't know do you know when you're coming on next uh probably tomorrow because we meet tomorrow? every week yeah okay, i good. guess so. yeah okay um well i appreciate you being here alex and um yeah we'll, we'll our paths will cross again soon i'm sure so oh, thank you very thank much you. Thank you again, James, for the support. That's very important to us. Oh, Thank no you. problem. Okay, Alex. Um, to be perfectly honest, that went a lot smoother than I thought it would. <laughs> I'm like, two minutes before we were going to go on air, Ilya's like, I'm like, uh, it's a video podcast. Here's the link. It'll put you right in the green room. He's like, we're going to have a problem with that, James. I'm a professional journalist. I don't want to piss off the martial law police. And I was like, shit. Um, and then the fact that I put up a picture of his best friend, who's also in the, in the press, except for, but not him, the whole show um, normally would have pissed me off. But uh, yeah, he turned it, uh, he was what you would call a generous interviewee, where he's like, I'm not going to make this boring, make this guy feel bad for putting up the picture of my buddy instead of me. Um, and, and not only is he gracious, he's super brave. So uh, my hat's off to Ilya Ponomarenko and to Alex as well. Um, for, for joining. And um, yeah, so I'm glad you guys joined too. We have, um, this is the first of two episodes that I have today. Um, the second episode, which is coming up back-to-back uh, -back black balls. Back-to-back <laughs> -back black balls? I don't know what that means. Um, Mark Creedon, who's the author of Between, or Caught Between Two Doubles. And then tomorrow we have Max Fawcett, uh, journalist. And on Thursday the 19th, we have Steve Pakin, friend of mine, uh, past guest of the show as well. Next week on the 24th, we have Linwood Barkley. Um, he's probably the best-selling Canadian writer on the planet right now. I think it's 8 million copies. World-famous, uh, great mystery writer. And then on the 26th, um, obviously, this is easy to predict, that I'm having the Canadian king of fishing on because I went to elementary school with him, and why not? Um, so that's it for me. 
Thanks, everybody, for joining. And uh, we will see you tonight at 630. All right. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.